sort of percolating in me for a long time. I really wrestled even in, in the summer about where we were going to go this fall. And um, I, I, I have a large vision for it because of where we currently find ourselves in culture. I think that um, we are in very new days, and, and we're going to talk a lot about that. But um, the big idea, the title of this series, and it is a rather big idea that we're going to kind of unpack um, over a long period of time, is gospel clarity amidst cultural confusion. Gospel is the good news of Jesus, right? That, that is what the gospel is. And it's the truth of Jesus that brings clarity in the midst of a culture that is starving for meaning and is so confused that they aren't even aware of how confused they are. And, and there has been, I would say, a, a subtle and a massive shift that has been happening in the culture and in the church in the past 10 years or so. Um, I, I was thinking about this this week, and I'm like, how would I, I kind of unpack that? I, and I would, I would pinpoint Rob Bell as one example of this. If you know who Rob Bell was, he was a very successful young pastor of an evangelical megachurch in Michigan. Uh, about 10 years ago, he was very well-spoken. He was articulate. Articulate. He was sharp. Um, he, his ability to communicate profound theological truths in thought-provoking and culturally relevant ways was probably, at that point, like, like there was just no one like him that came on the scene. He was just, he was um, very provocative. He wrote a couple books that really changed perceptions of Jesus for many people um, and, and what I thought was a positive way. There was many positive things about what he was doing. And I, I was really impacted by him. And our youth ministry at the time was really impacted in the way that he presented things um, and, and the way that they were understandable. But then he wrote a book that began, and well, really it challenged the reality of hell. And I think for many that was sort of, they saw that as the, the slide into this liberal progressive thinking side of things that he was sliding into. Um, and, and where we've gotten to now is Rob Bell left the ministry, left his church, resigned, um, now teaches a progressive post-Christian message that accepts everything pretty much, holds to nothing. Uh, he would say love is the ultimate aim. Uh, biblical authority, there's no such thing. Uh, it's all relative. That, that's kind of where Rob Bell is at. Um, and, he, and he would admit that. And, and so this, that for me is a picture of the shift that's been taking place across culture, has been taking place in parts of the church today, uh, confusioning, con- sorry, confusion and a questioning of everything that we once would have held as this is truth. And everything now is on the table, so to speak, as to whether it's legitimate or not. You know, before there was, there was Google Maps, and data on your phone, um, two things that I really, really like when I'm traveling, and you know that. But there, do you remember there was such a thing as these big paper maps that you would get out, and uh, whoever was in the passenger seat would spread out these big maps, and you'd be trying to pinpoint where you're going? Well, that, that like, I remember Jess and I, we were traveling in Chicago um, now like about 15 years ago, and we were making use of these said maps to navigate these new freeways that we had never, ever been on. Uh, like the Dwight D. Eisenhower freeway, I had never seen a freeway in my life like that. I had never driven anything like that. And 
driving in major U.S. cities without Google Maps is just not enjoyable, like, at all. Like, it is, it is work. And so, at one point, we missed an important exit. And we realized as soon as, like, we were kind of past, like, the state of no last return, and I've done that. I have, I have done so many stupid things trying to hit an exit that, my, like, Jess is holding on in the car going, dear God, we might die. And I'm not even exaggerating. Like, I pulled one a couple years ago in Minneapolis that was epic. And I, and I couldn't even believe that I pulled it off <laughs> because I didn't want to miss an exit. So, but in, in this instance, in Chicago, I missed this exit. And I realized that as soon as we missed it, and then I was like, and so I, I stopped the car, pulled over, like, onto the shoulder, and then I, I realized, like, we're going to have to go a long ways to get back to this place. And again, we didn't have Google Maps. So, like, we're relying on paper maps and trying to figure this out. So I'm like, we are backing up. <laughs> and Jess is like, what? I said, we are going to, I'm going to back up. And I don't remember all what happened, but I, I remember backing up. I remember waiting until there was a gap in traffic. Like, this is on a major U.S. freeway. And backing up until I hit that exit. And I did it. And I made it. And to this day, like, I, like, I am, I, every time I tell her, I'm like, I give myself a pat on the back. Like, but we actually survived and we got onto that exit. Now, that's, that's a ridiculous story of Paul doing things when he was younger that, like, I wouldn't actually do that anymore. Uh, that was like, I don't think I would do that anymore. Probably the... Probably the, well, yes, and the fact that I didn't have any kids in the vehicle at the time. But, like, needless to say, I found the whole experience um, using a map like that, a paper map, just this, this sort of lesson and exercise and just continual confusion. Like, it was like, um, and Jess knows that about me. Like, I can get highly stressed driving in a major U.S. city if I don't, if I don't have a clear picture of where I'm going, my, my level of, of uh, annoyance, I'll call it, rises. And, and, I, and, I, be, and, I, be, and I get very grumpy too. Um, anyways, we're not going to go anymore into the psychology of Paul. But, you know, if, if confusion can, can lead us to act in irrational ways. Would you agree? Confusion can, can lead us to act in all sorts of ways that are not rational, leading us to engage in behavior that has the potential for incredible danger in our lives, like backing up on a freeway. Just dumb. Anyways, o- over the next few months, we're going we're gonna to dig into this book in the New Testament, into 1 Corinthians, and, and we're doing it out of a desire for the Word of God to shape us and to bring clarity in our lives on a whole bunch of different topics and issues that are addressed in this letter. And we're going to go through that. Issues that are front and center today and are vitally, vitally important for the health of the church. And I, and I think that's probably why I feel like I have a large vision for this series is because of the incredible things that this letter addresses that are so relevant for us. So today kind of serves as a sort of intro into the series we're going to try and understand the environment into which Paul was writing and the environment that we're living in and, and the need for truth in our lives, gospel truth in our lives, just like there was a need for the Corinthians. And 
So this, this subtle and this, this massive shift in culture that I mentioned, you know, I, I kind of look at it as the, you can kind of snapshot the last 10 years, but really it began even way before that. Like we, we just see it now, the, the speed of the shift is increasing, I would say. We're seeing the shift happen uh, a lot faster. But it, it, ha- it started decades ago. And now we're beginning to see and we're beginning to feel the shift all around us more and more and more. And for the church, I think it's crucial that, that we're aware, that we have our eyes wide open as to what's happening, that we see the influence of this all around us in our own lives, that we understand the influence that this is having on the younger generations, and that's huge. Because what is at stake, if I could put a stake around, what is at stake is the gospel of Jesus Christ living in the lives of people. That is, that's what, that's, it's that big, it's that monumental that we are having a shift where the younger generation is turning away in droves from following Jesus. Ina told me this past week, they did a, a shoebox packing thing at Prov at the college. A quarter of the students there who were packing shoeboxes are either atheists or they are of different faiths. Most of the kids there at, at Prov are now, they would consider themselves unchurched. They don't belong anywhere. That, that's what's happening. That's, that's the reality that we are facing. Just a, a, snip, a snapshot. So Paul is writing to the church that was in Corinth. What, what, why, okay, you might ask, like, why do we even need to know about Corinth? Like, what could I possibly care about Corinth, the city that, that was in the first century in the Roman Empire? Like, maybe you're like that. Oh, Paul's going to talk about Corinth now. Why do I need to know? I, I would say this, because God chose to speak his eternal word into such a time and place, and so it serves us well to understand it. And also, because times have changed, but there are common threads that reveal the ongoing human condition and why we are in such need of the good news of Jesus. There's many threads that we will, can pull out of Corinth that are very relevant today. And so, there's an, actually, there's enough similarities, I think, to where we find ourselves currently that I think a title for today, such as Welcome to 21st Century Corinth, would actually be appropriate for us. Now, I'll, I'll explain why I think that is. So, Corinth was a prosperous city at the time. They were a center of trade and commerce. They were, they were prosperous, and yet they were full of immorality. Um, due to its, its geographical location, it was actually, it was very multicultural for the day in which, where they were. And it was wealthy, and it was obsessed with sex. The Greeks, actually, they, they had a word for living a life of debauchery that literally the word meant Live like a Corinthian. So all of us here are in the top 10% of the wealth in the world. Do you know that? Right now, we are all, every single one of us, are in at least the top 10% in the world. In fact, there's probably many of us here that are in the top 2 to 3%, and likely some of us here are even in the top half percent of the wealth of the world. 
You can go to a website and you can enter in where you live, what your net income is, and it'll tell you where you are in the world. We are all the prosperous of today. Every single person here, we are, in, we are the rich. And when it comes to sexual immorality, we call it freedom now. Our culture is, and our country is immersed in it. We call it freedom. Corinth was, was home to the Ismithian Games. That was, uh, those games were second only to the Olympics at the time. And the obsession with sport was at the center of the culture in Corinth. We, we are immersed in sports in our culture. We, we live and we plan our schedules and our lives around sports. We refer to our nation's official religion as hockey. We laugh about it. We think it's funny. And we say our, our official state religion in Canada is hockey. And we, we celebrate this overall as good and wholesome. You see the threads? Overlooking Corinth on a, on a hill, 1,800 feet above the city was the Temple of Aphrodite. That was the Greek goddess of love. A thousand prostitutes lived in that temple and served those who came to worship at the temple. It, it was the glorification of sex that towered over the city of Corinth, both literally and symbolically. Over the entire city, you'd look up and that's what you'd see. We just have more sophisticated means now to celebrate the exact same thing in our culture. We have hundreds of thousands of girls available just a couple clicks away on the internet. Through pornography, through an app, you can now hook up with whoever you want with no strings attached on Tinder. Happens all the time. We are as highly a sexualized culture as ever right now. Within Corinth was the, also then, so within the city, was the Temple of Apollo, who was the god of music, song, and poetry. And, and nude statues of Apollo led to this trend of worshipers. They would, they would come to that temple around these statues, and they would worship by engaging in acts with one another around these statues. And so Corinth was known as the center of homosexual practices. This was normative in the city. The God of entertainment is thriving as much as ever right now. But due to internet, due to Wi-Fi, due to streaming, there is no need for temples anymore unless we count the stadiums and the movie theaters that we have all around us and the hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars that are spent on those. Do you see the threads? And like the Corinthians, the church today is marginalized and we are in real danger of succumbing to the practices of the culture that we live in. And so throughout this series, I'm going I'm to talk about the state of our culture, where, where we find ourselves as the church, what the dangers are, but also, and this is so important for us, the hope and the expectation there is for renewal when we center our lives around the way of Jesus. There is great hope for renewal. And I believe that we live in definitive days. But 
perhaps not as we've commonly understood those days in the church. And, and what I mean by that is I believe the danger is way more serious than we sometimes think it is. We sometimes have this idea like, well, these are the way, the way things are always going to be. There's these cycles. No, it's, it's different now. It is different. Technology has made it very, very different. And I think that the danger that we have is far more subtle than we realize as well. So we have great need in the church to be awake, to be wide awake, to be walking in wisdom and discernment, to be defined, led, and shaped by the word of God rather than the seductive pull of culture that's all around us. That really is what it's about. We need clarity that comes from the word of God. And in these days, to combat this cultural confusion that it is, it is seeking to infiltrate every single one of our lives. It is, seeking, it, it is seeking to infiltrate every single one of our hearts and our minds and every one of our homes. And I, and I think the danger for us specifically is that here in southeastern Manitoba, we somehow think that we are immune from this that we're in this little cocoon and there's a little bit of truth to that because of what we're experiencing and we think that this isn't going to hit us. The internet, Wi-Fi, and iPhones are in every home, which means that there is no stopping the culture around you. you we're not immune. On a few levels, maybe there's differences, but at best, it's delayed. At best. And, and I, would, I would even contest, folks, that if you peel back the layers and you begin to examine what's happening in homes, in schools, in our own lives, we would begin to see what's actually happening. And that is a widespread apathy, a widespread complacency amidst deep immersion in secular culture. I, I really, I feel gripped by this. So... I don't mean for this to come on as a heavy, but I think we have to see where we are and have eyes that are open as to what's happening. So let, let, me, let me ask you a question. What are, what are Christian disciplines? What are the Christian disciplines? What would you say? Just, just shout, shout out something. If you, what is a Christian discipline? Prayer. Yep. Obedience. Obedience. Jen? Yeah, yeah, communion would be one. Fasting is another one. Yeah, reading the word, being immersed in the word of God, studying the word, all, all aspects of that. Giving, yep, that's another one. Worship. You pretty much, you pretty much hit them all. That's, that, those are the Christian disciplines that have been for centuries have been understood and accepted and embraced and practiced by the church. This is how we follow Christ. This is how we grow. This is, how, this is what we do daily. This is what we do consistently in our lives. Now, let me ask you another question. How do you think individuals in the church as a whole are doing in these things? All those things that we just listed. How, how are people doing? You don't have to I actually don't, you, we don't have to answer that if you don't want to, but I, how, 
And this isn't just about, I mean, we can look at ourselves and evaluate where we are. It's also about where we're at as a culture, right? Now, how do we think youth and young adults are doing in this? That, sorry? That I can tell you with a lot of confidence. I think I have a very good idea how that is going. And it's not going well. Studies are finding that spiritual disciplines are practically gone in the younger generations. Gone, not practiced. Under the pressure of secularism, but also due to, and this sounds, maybe this sounds ridiculous, but due to the iPhone and Wi-Fi. We are, we are so, folks, we are so distracted. Like, so, so distracted. So this is what Paul is doing throughout the letter to the Corinthians. He is, he's pulling back the layers. He's addressing cultural realities and deception. And he's pointing them to the way of Jesus. He's saying, this is what it means to follow the way of Jesus. And so as the church today... What we're actually, part of what we're doing is we are called to come together and we are called to re-narrate the world in light of the gospel. You know, we are constantly re-narrating the world for us in light of what this book says. Allowing the gospel to pull back the layers, inviting the gospel to shine its light on cultural realities, cultural deceptions, and pointing us to the way of Jesus. And so I, I don't... I don't know, maybe, maybe this is really obvious, but we desire to be a Bible-centered, spirit-led church. That is what we want to be. We want to be all of that. We want to accept all of that. And that, so what that means for this is going, going through a book like Corinthians, and we've got to address really, really difficult topics. Topics that are going to, because we're not going to skip them. We're not going to say, oh, well, that, that's too difficult to deal with. Not going to touch that. We're going to deal with subjects in the coming months, I promise you, that are going to be, they're going to oppose our, our culture. They're going to make us uncomfortable, potentially. They're going to maybe feel a little bit awkward. But our conviction, this is the conviction. These words are the very words of God for us. They, these are the words that change lives. These are the ones that will change our hearts and our minds. And they're meant to equip us and help us to follow in the way of Jesus. That, that's my goal for this series. That's really my goal. That we would be equipped to follow in the way of Jesus. So in the weeks to come, I'm, I'm going to try and pull apart for us this reality of where we find ourselves in, in, in a variety of ways. To draw out what's happening in culture, how can we equip ourselves to live for Jesus in the midst of it? How can you do that? And the hope for renewal that exists in the church, because there's great hope for renewal. Did you know that, that as, God, as the church, that we are God's vehicle for renewal? Did you know that? We are. We, that, there, this is, there is no one else that we should be looking to for renewal. We, we are called as the church to see ourselves. We're rescued by God. We are redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And we're being sanctified through the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit. That is who we are. That is the church. And as the church, rescued, redeemed, 
being sanctified, that is who we are. We are it. As the church of Christ, we are it. There is no other plan. It's us. And so I, I want to I wanna spend the next little bit here, not that long, looking at the first few verses in 1 Corinthians to encourage us as the church and to provide the framework, if you will, of this series that's to come. Because how, how Paul opens this letter and what he, what he focuses on will provide the foundation, if you will, for the rest of the letter. There, there's themes here that are woven throughout the letter and there are values that we want to highly esteem in this church. So, if you have your Bibles, it's opened up to 1 Corinthians 1. We're going to read the first nine verses together. If you have your Bibles, you can read along. It'll be on the screen as well. 1 Corinthians 1, verses 1 to 9. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Thosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus, we thank you for this truth. We thank you that you call us and you welcome us to be enriched in you in every way. Lord, we want to ask right now that you would open up our hearts. Lord, that we would receive all that you have for us in these verses. Lord, help us to understand them. And Jesus, would you be glorified. You are above all things and we love to follow in the way of Jesus. And we want to learn how to do that better. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. So this, this is not going to be an exhaustive study of these verses this morning. Um, rather, I'm going to kind of provide a snapshot, if you will, of three values that we are going to see throughout this letter. And having said that, I encourage you to spend time this week in these nine verses as we, as we go away from here and just dig into these verses and see what nuggets the Lord reveals to you that you find in these, in these verses. Now, having said all this too, maybe you're, you're hearing this and, and what Paul is, how he's opening this letter and you, you know enough about Corinthians to go, yeah, but these guys were like really messed up. And they were. Like Paul gets into, the church in Corinth was a mess. It was, there were so many things that he has to address, but he is stating here this is what I delivered to you. He was with them for 18 months. This is what I taught. This is what I saw in you. And he was greatly encouraged by what he had seen, how that church had grown and the birth of that church and what had happened in the people. And so we do see Paul affirming the Corinthians here. 
and it's, and it's affirming for us. And that is, we see him affirming the high value of fellowship. Verse 2, he talks about the call to pursue Jesus as Lord together, and it's bookended by verse 9. We're called into the fellowship of Jesus. We walk this out together. There is the necessity of the local fellowship of believers. That's us that's being affirmed here. The incredible mystery of how we are being formed into the image of Jesus together. So what we were doing this morning in worship, all of that, that we're actually being formed into the image of Jesus together. In, the, in this whole thing last week, we're talking about remembering, remembering what the Lord has done. The Lord's brought back to me in the last while. Remember what Gene spoke here in February about worship. And I don't know if you remember that message, but I, the Lord's been pinpointing that for me. Remember how I can come into worship as a member of this church, and I can, I'm being formed together into the image of Jesus. There's, there's a lot of stuff there to unpack, but joining together and pursuing fellowship is actually about the forming of Jesus in our lives. That's what we're doing here. So this flies totally in the face of hyper-individualistic culture, which we are, again, you know, I've talked about we are immersed in that. It, we are taught and preached to that self-indulgence, self-preservation is good. Pursue it, live for it. There, there used to be cultural pressure to attend church. Used to be. Now, there's, it's actually flipped the other way. It's actually, there's cultural pressure not to be, to give yourself to being in the body. Why, why would you waste time like that? You can go for brunch on Sunday morning. Like, why would you possibly go to church? You can sleep in, you can go to brunch, then you can go shopping. That's the culture. And the word says, no, there's actually something so highly to be valued in the forming of Christ as we come here together. Thank you. I'll receive that affirmation. Faithful church attendance is actually seen now as stifling to our personal freedom. Don't tell me what I... That's my weekend. The question is, do we see Sunday as a gift to us? Do we see how the Lord has given us a day, a spiritual discipline where we come, we opened up our body and our mind to the power of the Holy Spirit. We're actually saying, I need you, Holy Spirit, to center me. I need you to form me in the way of Jesus. I'm coming together with the church. Do we understand how badly we need this to anchor ourselves in the midst of the storms of Western culture? We need it so badly. And so this is why fellowship over coffee, worship, sitting under the word, engaging in prayer together, welcoming the power of the Holy Spirit through personal prayer, all of that stuff, it has eternal value in forming us in the ways of Jesus. I heard it, I, I heard it explained lately this way, and I just I really liked this. Um, it was said, church as an embodied kingdom, practicing the way of Jesus together. I was like, that's so good. Like, that's what we are. 
This is why active engagement in worship, active engagement, all ages, doesn't matter who, what age we are, that we are seeking to actively engage in welcoming Jesus and forming to the ways of Jesus. And, such, and, and that together with the word, that's why it's such a high value for us. Second, we see here high value for transformational growth. Paul, he speaks here of the grace that was given to the church in Jesus. He says, you are being enriched in Jesus in every way, in all speech and all knowledge. He says, everything, everything was being enriched. He says, you're not, you aren't lacking in any gift. All the gifts have been given to you. This, that was the testimony of what Paul had seen in the 18 months that he administered in Corinth. All of this was happening, and he was so encouraged by it. And then Paul speaks of them waiting for the revealing of Jesus. They were, they were eager for the return of Jesus. The, the church was looking and they were anticipating the return of Jesus. They wanted to have their lives orientated around this desire, waiting for his return. And this is the reality of transformational growth in the church. The presence of Jesus in our lives and in our midst leading to incredible changes in our lives. So Paul's saying to the, to the Corinthians, your speech, your conduct, thinking patterns, all that was being changed. All that is being changed in us. So how, how was this taking place? And Paul says it there, right in the middle of the verses. He says, it was as the testimony of Christ was being confirmed among them. It was the preaching of the sufficiency of Jesus being secured in the people. So the people were hearing, it's all in Christ for you. It's all about Jesus. Everything you need is in Jesus. And it was as that was being secured in them, leading to their lives being changed, that all this stuff was happening in them. It was leading to this incredible transformational growth in the people as all this was happening. As the truth of Jesus, the embracing of his way is secured in our lives. We experience the depth of God's grace in Jesus. We receive grace. We receive an overabundance of the grace of Jesus. We, re- we understand grace differently. That's, and that's the catalyst. Grace is the catalyst for change in our lives. That's what, that's what allows change in us. We're enriched in every area of our character. So our characters are changing. Our personalities are actually changing as Jesus is working in us and through us. And we're growing in the gifts that God has for us. We're receiving the gifts. Nothing is lacking. So we want to have a high value for this type of transformational growth in our midst. Now, okay, this doesn't come without issues. In, see 1 Corinthians, if you're wondering. Just read through 1 Corinthians. All the issues that we're going to dig into. So all this is on the table for Paul. But the testimony of Jesus being secured in us is a high value. So how does, how does that happen? Because it, it, it has to work itself out in practical ways if it's going to happen. It's not, this isn't some ideological thing that... So it's, it's through the conviction of sin in our lives. It's actually working through sin issues in our lives, getting them on the table, getting free, finding the freedom of Jesus, illumination of God's truth in us, coming to see the truth of Jesus more and more and more, and the strengthening of our faith. 
Our faith is, we are, we are being secured in faith. All of that is the work of the Holy Spirit. All of that. You, you won't will that. You won't manifest that in yourself. That is the Holy Spirit that does that work. As we say, come Holy Spirit. So that leads us to the third value, the final value here, and that is a high value of the Holy Spirit. And, and it's not specifically mentioned in these verses, but the tes- this testimony of Jesus being secured in our lives and the subsequent growth, that's all the results. That's all the work of the Holy Spirit, like I just said. So this past, this past week, um, we met with a, a few of the pastors and leaders from Salt and Light Central, and we were just getting together uh, to debrief Consumed. And uh, Jeremy, you were there. We were, we were debriefing it with some of the leaders. And, and as part of that, we, really the, the impetus for getting together is we were discussing the distinctives of Salt and Light and why we do what we do and, and, and putting some framework and some shape to where we feel the Lord is calling us. And one that we talked about was our high value for the ministry and the presence of the Holy Spirit in everything we do. Reason being is, we don't want to, when it comes to youth, but this, this applies to all of us, we don't want to just be creating kids and raising kids up to be doing the right things and walking through and doing this and doing good things without the ministry, without the filling of the Holy Spirit, it doesn't matter actually. The catalyst for change, the catalyst for growth, the catalyst for true transformation is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We have to have that. Our youth have to have that. Otherwise, it just becomes about works. The same is true for all of us. We need the Holy Spirit. So the work of the Holy Spirit, his ministry in the church, it's focused on in a few different places in 1 Corinthians, and we'll get, we'll get into that. But it's clear from Scripture, it's the Holy Spirit who sustains us to the end as we wait for the revealing of Jesus. When Paul talks about there, he's, you were sustained, you're being sustained to the end. Who does that? It's the helper. It's the Holy Spirit who does that in us. And it fills us with expectation and longing for that reality, longing to see that in our lives. So, one one of the deceptions that was threatening to infiltrate the Corinthians was the philosophy of Gnosticism. In fact, that's the word there that Paul uses for knowledge. He uses the word where we get Gnosticism from, and that was very, very prevalent in first century uh, Roman culture. This, This idea of the spiritual elite, if you will, that proclaimed a higher sense of knowledge. Um, they had superior knowledge at that time. And this is a dangerous deception that's still infiltrating us today. And I want to explain how that's working itself out. So in the church, this is where we see Gnosticism, or, or the, the, the spirit of Gnosticism, I'll say. A spirituality that separates itself from the church. It's me and my Jesus. It's a personal relationship with Jesus. I don't need the church any longer. I have a higher understanding of this, and I don't need this anymore. That is infiltrating the church. No longer any need for involvement or commitment to the local church. 
outside the church, we see the spirit of this in that those who are leaving the church, leaving the faith entirely, and they're going through this process of what they call deconstructionism. They're deconstructing, they're tearing down all the, the framework of what's been built in their lives. And at the center of it is this idea that we don't any longer need God. That's, that's just a figment of our imagination. We don't need that. And what deconstructionism preaches is, at the end of the day, what makes you happy? Pursue that. Whatever makes you happy, do it. Go for it. Whatever doesn't make you happy, get rid of it. That's being preached in waves with young people all over. And we see it manifesting itself in the culture. And we'll, we'll talk about that in the coming weeks. But there's, there's, in that, there's even this idea of sort of, and it's, it's formed as sort of a secular rebirth. Like I'm coming into enlightenment as I'm, as I'm tearing all this down. Both of those philosophies, both of those threads of Gnosticism are rooted in individualism that has infiltrated every part of our lives. It's about me. And it's the work of the Holy Spirit in our fellowship together that protects us against those lies. Together, it's the ministry of the Holy Spirit here. It's the forming of Jesus together. It's the embracing and the pursuit of the Holy Spirit and his presence in our lives that will sustain us. It's why being spirit-led is such a high value for us. So, I want to end. How can we apply this to our lives? What, what are some practical things that we can do to pursue gospel clarity amidst cultural confusion? Two specific things that I want to... Um, that we can, I want to put before us, that we, to embrace this value of fellowship, to embrace the value of transformational growth and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Two very practical things. First, before you pick up your phone in the morning, open up your Bible, get alone with Jesus in the Word and in prayer, and be with God alone. Don't even look at a device that's one thing we can do, to just orientate ourselves around the ways of Jesus. Second, once or twice a week, have a meal with other Christians. Fellowship. Come together and pursue Jesus together in community. That, that, that guards us, that protects us, that keeps us secure as we encourage one another, as we edify one another, as we hold one another up in prayer. I would encourage you as you do it, have prayer as part of your time together. Make prayer. Say, hey, can we pray together? It's great ways to orientate ourselves around Jesus. Now that, that involves making room for that in our lives, right? That, that's, that's a scheduling thing. That's a we are going to make this a value in our lives and we're going to do this with other people. All right, Corinne, I'll call you up. So those are two things that we can do. Two very, very practical things to help us be formed in the way of Jesus. And now we're going we're gonna to end in worship because again, this is an opportunity to respond to what Jesus is showing us in the word and, and what we're doing here together 
is forming us in the way of Jesus. This is all about formation and getting our eyes on the Lord and worshiping him. So let's, let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you for the good news of Jesus. I want to thank you for the way that the reality of who Jesus is and what he's done and the fact that he is returning again reorientates us to that, reorientates us to your ways. And Father, we, we want to have clarity in these days and we want to have lives that are centered on you. And so Jesus, we ask that you would, right now that you would use these words in 1 Corinthians to speak to us. Lord, we want to pray that you would give us much clarity. And Jesus, we want to pray that you would speak to us about the things all around us that are seeking to infiltrate our lives and lead us away from Jesus. Jesus, we love you and we worship you. Amen. Mm-hmm.